2: To episode 138 of the highly relevant podcast, the Latin X Show, where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Welcome, everybody. It's 2020 August, and it's crazy out there. <laughs> so, uh, as you guys know, I'm a New Yorker. You know, a lot of the show was done uh, in New York City, and uh, I have fled New York. Listen, you know, I've, I've I've had an interesting career that has allowed me the privilege to be able to flee the city in moments like this. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. I earned it, you know. But I got to tell you, man, I'm really sad inside uh, with the way Manhattan looks like. Um, have not been to Queens, but from what I hear, it doesn't look that bad. Brooklyn, I just hear it's deteriorating almost every day. Manhattan is a shell of itself. Don't know about Stan Island. Uh, heard. You know, areas like Jersey City not doing so well, but it was interesting. So went over there and all that glitz is gone. Whatever glamour that New York had is gone. And it's because when you really think about what New York City's been like for the last 20 years, it's been essentially an extension of corporate America. It's where all these rich investors were buying cities for for tax breaks, you know, from different countries. I mean, when you have like China and Russia buying all the major New York City institutions, you know, it's not New York City anymore. It's it's a global city and politicians were okay prostituting the city for money. Everybody wanted to live a good life, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, guys like me who grew up in Queens and went from the transition from poor middle class to being well off, you feel the difference. And 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 to say that New York City is still the same, is you're deranged. Now, interestingly, though, when I passed through Harlem, Harlem had a vibe. Midtown looked like it was a ghost town. You know, when you know, I went downtown as well, ghost town, and then there was areas like the village that had some remnants of life. But when all the money leaves and the cops are pissed at you uh, because of defund the police and they don't want to work that hard anymore. I mean, remember, they're humans. You know, they have feelings uh, and they feel that the color blue has been tainted by the color black and brown. So when you have those clashes, you know, the city's going to go through a transition. But here's the thing. I'm pretty optimistic. And I'm optimistic because the city should have never been full of that level of decadence. Anytime you become too big for your laurels, think of the Roman Empire, think of any empire in history, it collapses. And, And New York City has collapsed. Now, my optimism is really, it's really rooted now in the bohemians, in the artists, in the creators, in the local people that have been in New York from the beginning. These aren't transplanted, you know, uh, people from other cities that were going there to just to feel what it's like to be a part of the sex in the city, you know, a block, Like, New York City is no longer a movie spectacle. It's just kind of like what Martin Scorsese started filming back in the 70s. It's not Woody Allen's New York. It's not Carrie Bradshaw's New York. Those days, for now, are gone. And we might get it back, but we might get it back in a wholly different way. In a way that that, that has imprints of, of the last 20 years. It sucks to to see how the restaurants, which is the lifeline of any neighborhood, gone. You know, how the major cultural institutions uh, are dead right now. No funding, no art money. You could argue that, listen, we had way too much art. Everybody was making way too much money. And a lot of uh, the working class and the middle class sometimes couldn't even afford a damn ticket Especially to go see like a great Broadway show like Hamilton, which is a whole other interesting issue of how that show, that Broadway musical, went from the highest levels of praise, right? To now, I don't know. I don't want to talk about Hamilton. So. I kind of stopped doing the podcast for a little bit so I can concentrate on doing the Brown and Black podcast. If you haven't heard it, please do yourself a favor. Check it out. It's me and Mike Sargent. And for those of you that are long life uh, fans and listeners to the show, you've heard Mike on the podcast. It was just inevitable, guys. At some point, Mike and I were just hitting it off so well that we're like, why am I doing this show alone and bringing you along? Why don't we just do the show together and, you know, go 50-50 on 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 having a show together, if you listen to it, it's a lot of real talk. You know, there's not a lot of promotion on movies that we're doing. We're, We're just getting to the nitty gritty. We're trying to understand what is going on in the world, how it's being operated. You know, one of the things that I didn't really cover in the highly relevant podcast was a lot of issues about race. It was almost this bubble of pop culture and entertainment. And if there was any trace of any type of... Uh, social injustice, it was in the media and the lack of Latinos represented in the media. Now, we've put that on steroids on brown and black. Uh, we talk about pop culture because that is always the intersection. It's about race and pop culture. We talk about movies, we talk about TV shows, but we now talk about it on a very profound level. We talk about it from what is the root of how the system works and why haven't we questioned that system to the point of, uh, of shaming it. And And it's a much more enjoyable show to me to do. But I got to be honest with you. (laughs) Highly relevant to me is very special. Uh, Latinx to me, I'm a Latinx. And by the way, now everybody's questioning Latinx. You know, I've heard three articles already where people don't want to be even associated to Latinx. I'm like, I give up with you guys. But being a Latino, Latinx, however you want to identify there's a specialness in that uniqueness to be that because we're not necessarily all black and we're not necessarily all white. We're a mixture of both. And this podcast was always about how Latino pop culture interacts with American mainstream pop culture, because that is the duality of our lives. And that duality is the one that I want to continue. And that's why um, my first guest of this week is Roxy Diaz. She's from Honduras. You've seen her in 106 in Park at BET back in the day. Uh, she's now hosting a brand new show with The Miz from WWE called Cannonball. It's on USA Network. We'll talk to her about Ellen DeGeneres, that breakdown. Remember, she does entertainment. She was on Entertainment Tonight, for, so she knows her thing. She's been on that show before. Uh, and she's also one of the few Latina hosts, national hosts in mainstream. You know, so kudos to her because I know it's harder to be a Latina and to be a woman and to try and make it in the mainstream market where you have so many people just resisting, you know. And we talk about her heritage and we talk about the term Latinx and what that means to her and what she thinks it means uh, right now in this current climate. So we got a good show for you. Um, I'm glad, you know, that uh, we're back and I'm glad that you guys are listening. I'm glad that you guys wanted the show back. Got a bunch of messages. Yo, where's the show? All right. Here's the show, guys! But before I talk to Roxy Diaz, it's time I give you my weekly review of what's happening in the Latinx and mainstream culture in a segment I like to call, Jacked in. Let's begin with the top movie TV and music news of the week. Disney announced Mulan is headed to Disney Plus and skipping movie theaters. Lionsgate is making a John Wick 4 and 5. Marco Consuelo's and wife Kelly Ripa are producing Mexican Gothic. There's going to be a Who's the Boss reboot with Tony Danza and Alyssa Milano returning. E! News has been canceled after 29 years. And CNCO will be performing at the 2020 MTV Video Music Awards on August 30th. Over in media news, the new diverse female news website The 19th has launched. Chef Rick Martinez has left the popular Bon Appetit show on YouTube after a controversial last few months at the Conde Nast brand. Lan X term is gaining popularity amongst whites, but new research says only 3% of U.S. Hispanics use the gender-neutral term. And the News and Doc Emmy nominations are out, and Univision obtained 18 dots, while CNN en Espanol acquired three nominations. And in tech and social media news, Donald Trump has officially announced he will ban the popular TikTok app beginning mid-September if Microsoft doesn't buy it first. Instagram has released a rival to TikTok called Reels, and people are not crazy about it. Facebook has told their employees they can return to offices some of 2021 and apple news has launched an apple audio version of the news with dominican co-host duarte geraldino you can find it in the new update
1: hi i'm mike mizanan and i'm roxy diaz and welcome to cannonball bay this show is gonna
2: be bad <laughs> i
1: totally agree mike this is gonna be good
2: Roxy Diaz, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me. I love the name.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much. Hey, we only uh, have highly relevant people, okay? (laughs) Well, first of all, um, you have a brand new show. Uh, Congratulations on it. It's called Cannonball, and it's airing on the USA Network. Um, And you co host it with The Miz from the WWE. Uh, How how did the job come to you?
1: Um, Well, I got a phone call from my agent, and they were like, hey, go try out for this this show. And it was more of a chemistry test with Mike. They were looking for somebody who would uh partner up and be a good compliment to him. And, and from day one, I mean, from that audition, Mike and I were like big brother, little sister joking around, you know, I wouldn't let him bully me, push me around. I was pushing him around. So, uh, and it was that, you know, uh, that resilience that we have with each other and the chemistry from day one and with our sideline reporter, Simon Gibson, also like, honestly, I can't think of, of two other guys to work with. And they were absolutely amazing. And and Mike, he's a superstar. He's just, he's a dream as big of a personality he is. He's also so humble too. And he gives back and he wants everybody to shine.
2: How would you describe the formula for having great chemistry?
1: You know, I don't know. I think you kind of read a vibe, you know, and and being a reporter, mm. like like you know, you, when when you're on the other side of that mic, it's about making the other person comfortable and and making sure they yeah. shine. So it's about being complimentary to the next person and and not being fake, but being complimentary. You know, at the end of the day, we learned when we were kids, do <laughs> on to others as you would have done unto yourself. So I think if you treat somebody with the utmost respect and and with kindness and you're just genuine, I think that that's going to read. Regardless, you know, some people just don't work well together. It's just a, a clash of right. personalities that happens. You can't force it, but sometimes that makes for good TV too.
2: Now, I was checking out the show and I noticed that there's no social distancing. So, when exactly was it filmed?
1: Our show was filmed last October before the pandemic. Um, uh, so, okay. yeah, we were we were we were not uh, we weren't hit with with that. We were completely safe, and and unfortunately, you know. With us crossing our fingers for a season two, you know, we pray that there's a way that we can still continue on doing the show. And Hollywood being the way Hollywood is, we'll figure it out.
2: What do you believe is this renewed interest in competition shows? I mean, I remember that competition was almost exclusively in the mainstream market, just for like music reality competition. But now it's starting to pick up and I'm just trying to find out if you've been able to put your finger on what it is that people are liking about it now that they didn't like about it years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think since reality is big, what's more real than watching people really belly flop and really back flop and really do (laughs) cannonballs and really become contortionists in the middle of the air? You know, it's like, what's more real than that? So I think that reality, real humor, real people is what makes cannonball so much fun and so great because it's it's. Real people. It's a guy who has two cats at home and calls himself the cat daddy. It's a girl who <laughs> loves pineapples and she dresses in a pineapple suit. You know, it's it's your right. 56-year-old uh athletic woman who's a professional body trainer, you know what I'm saying? She's a bodybuilder. It's uh, we have volleyball players, we have stay-at-home dads, we have a guy who is a gospel singer. It's just all walks of life on this show. You really, really can't put your finger on what's going to happen. But I think that America likes to see real. They don't like to see scripted. That's why reality shows are so big.
2: How has the pandemic been treating you in terms of work? Have you noticed that it's slowed down? Have you noticed that it's even maybe even picked up? How busy have you been? And what's the mental toll that the pandemic and essentially everything else, I feel like it's a brand new world. How are you holding up with it?
1: I'm fine. Um, it has slowed down. The industry has slowed down. But when you're an actor or you're in the television world, you kind of know about your ups and downs already. Um, so what happened during a time that we were because we were just coming off the holiday break, February, you know, it was still kind of really slow. It's just anything that was going to be in production has kind of gone away now. So it's challenging, but right. I don't really think about it. I just keep on going and having a great attitude and just like, hey, this is more time that I've ever had to be with my family, to be with myself, to be productive in my own way and, and stay creative. And it's you gotta take opportunity when it comes. So we we may never have this much amount of time on our hands ever again. So it's like, take advantage of it.
2: You know, I've been checking you out since 106th in Park. Uh, I remember Julissa Bermudez also was on that show. It's a good friend of mine. There's not that many Latina national hosts in America right now. And I kind of wanted to ask you, what do you attribute that to? And by the way, congratulations on being one of the few Latinas on national air. What have you done in particular that you've stood out where so many other Latinas that wish they were in your position have been able to?
1: Oh, I I don't want to say that I've done anything different than any other person that's trying to get a gig has done. You know, like I Mm -hmm. I just stick to my ground. If I'm going to be able to have the opportunity to not only represent Myself and, and my heritage and my race, more so than anything, my family, you know, family first. And I, I know that when I come on TV, I have to put my best foot forward because I'm representing my family at the end of the day as well. And, and right. I don't want my mama coming after me so <laughs> for any, you don't know my mom. Okay. My mom does not play. So I have to make sure that I'm always on my P's and Q's. But, um, I think being a person with integrity and always treating people good and, You know, you just being prepared and being professional, you know, not to say I haven't had my hiccups either, but uh, it's a learning process. But I do I do think that it's important that when we do have those opportunities to not only shine um, in a good light, but that we have the support of our community as well, because that's just as equally. Hey, you got the beauty in the baker or you got, you know, grand grand hotel. And it's like if we don't support them, how are you not going to expect to see more of us on, t- on TV? You know, that goes across Definitely. the board. That's not just, you know, Latinos. That's black and brown across the board.
2: I know. Um, they've canceled so many shows. You know, there's not even one single broadcast show uh, that has a Latin Latinx cast, and that's pretty sad. Um, for the most part, you are from Honduras. You were born there. Um, I think you yeah. lived in Louisiana for a little while. Uh, have you ever been mm-hmm. back to Honduras?
1: Yeah, I used to go back all every summer. So I was born in Honduras, raised in New Orleans, um, and we would go back every summer to go visit my grandmother. So it was literally school in the States, but summers in Honduras. And uh when she passed, when I was around 12 or mm. something, I didn't go for a while. But then, as a, an adult, went back and surprised the family. And Oh,
0: and wow, that must have been a treat.
1: And I've been back a few times. Yeah, I, it's been probably about three years since I've been back, but— But yeah, I've been back.
2: So how do you identify when somebody asks you where you're from?
1: I say I'm from New Orleans. I I grew up in New Orleans. I was there since I was two years old. Um, But I'm from Honduras. I'm, you know, so I, I always say I'm from Honduras, but I'm raised in New Orleans, you know, and I go back and forth. I mean... This is the United States. We're diversity. We're built on the backs of immigrants at the end of the day. We come from all walks of life. From You know, it's funny. When I got my citizenship for, for, the, United, for the United States, and when I was taking that pledge, I looked around me and I thought I was going to see a bunch of Latinos. But that wasn't the case. I saw... Africans. I saw uh, Middle Eastern. I saw Indian. I saw, I saw everything. And that is what America is. We're all walks of life. It's not just one thing.
2: It's so funny because the label of immigrants really sort of is attached to us Hispanics. And I've always had a problem yeah. with that. And those all, all, there's all these labels now. Uh, has anybody ever said you're Latinx? And how do you feel about the term?
1: That's something that I was just recently uh, was brought to my attention. I didn't know we were separating ourselves so much, uh, but I understand because it's a different world, a different uh, demographic, and I'm not offended at all. I'm like, okay, if this is, I know who I am mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, I know who I represent, and when that comes, somebody asks me, that's like that's a whole race that I'm I'm representing. So. Uh I don't find offense to the term. It, it's whatever floats your boat at the end of the right. day. I don't I don't really put too much energy on titles and labels because at the end of the day you can't label me or title me at all. So I don't I don't care. It, I don't I don't care if that's a good answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when you were trying to get into the business, who were you looking up to in particular? Was like for example, when I was growing up, uh, Bob Costas and Brian Gumble were some of the people that I identified with. That you know what I kind of want to reach that tier of professionalism. Um, was there anybody in particular that you kind of modeled your professional uh, career after?
1: I can't say model, but there were definitely people that I found as my mentors. Oprah was definitely mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, you know, uh, even Ricky Lake. Famous I remember Ricky Lake. Yeah, I
2: went to her shows a couple of times.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ricky was she was so personable, like Oprah, could talk to anybody. She also had a uh, humility. Um, Larry King, best interviewer ever. I read all That's of Larry right. King's books, just trying to learn how to interview. His favorite thing was not to prepare at all, which I thought was funny uh, from Larry King, but it it just was. There's different tactics and, and tricks to the trade that you learn from different people. Ellen, Ellen is so much fun. Ellen is like, she could be friends with everybody for the fact that people want to go to Ellen's show because they know it's safe to break news and they're not in a, an environment that's going to be, you know, uh, too scary or racy or anything like that. I think that's that's who I want to be. I never want somebody to go on my program and be scared to come on my program.
2: When are we gonna see the Roxy Diaz show? Is she replacing Ellen? She's in hot <laughs> water right now. I'd love to see uh, a Roxy Diaz television you know, show.
1: It's really unfortunate to see uh, that happen to Ellen because I've been on her show a few times and every every experience was always the best experience. But when you're a powerhouse like Ellen, I think it's big of her to take responsibility for those that may have some things that may have fallen through the cracks. And I think that she sincerely doesn't like what that her reputation is going to go down like that.
0: Mm -hmm. At the end of
1: the day, you don't want you don't want somebody's reputation to be tarnished. So I think I think it's unfortunate that it's happening right now. And whoever fills that slot will be will have some really big shoes to fill. But, you know, we'll see what happens. As far as the Roxy Diaz show, uh, I'm gonna talk to the USA Network about that. Let's see, (laughs) maybe it'll be a a Roxy Diaz after Cannonball episodes, not sure.
2: (laughs) What kind of struggles did you go through? You know, I heard a quote the other day that said that all success stories are the sum of failures overcome. How much struggles did you have to overcome to get to where you are? This business, you know, Roxy, you, you could maybe even downplay it out of being modest but it's really difficult to make it to where you are at this game and at this level. Um, how hard has it been for you? Or has it been just easy?
1: <laughs> it's definitely not been easy. Uh, I think just work worth ethic and tenacity. It's, it's really having faith in God that something else is gonna come. Those days that you're like, I don't know, what, what's the next thing gonna be? Like, what's the next audition? Hello, can I get my agents on the phone? Like, you right. know, I, I've gone through that, you know? So it's just about, again, when you have those opportunities to shine, you really, really got to grab the bull by its horns and shine and bring your best because those opportunities don't, don't come often. And I'm, I'm always very, very humble, thankful and blessed whenever I do get a shot because I know that there aren't many. So I'm just grateful. I'm just a, truly, really grateful person.
2: Well, thank you very much, Roxy, for being on the show and uh, congratulations on Cannonball. I mean, this this to me is going to be a huge stepping stone into uh, the Roxy Diaz future, I can already tell.
1: It's such a fun show and I hope that everybody checks it out. I hope all your listeners get a chance to check it out. USA Network's 8, 7 Central every Thursday. New episodes also on NBC, and you can stream us all the time, usanetwork.com.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Roxy. Much appreciated. Thanks for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thanks for Bye. having me. Bye. Take it easy. And before I wrap up here, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Un arma de moda. El micrófono, Mexico Institute of Sound. El micrófono se ha vuelto un arma de moda. Ah! Jungla, Monte from Simon Mejía. versos paralelos Juan Galeanti
1: con estos universos para el del
2: And that's it for episode 138 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Roxy Diaz for dropping by the show. And you can catch the video version of this interview soon on my YouTube channel at Jack Rico. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please share with all your friends on social media. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at Jack Rico and Twitter at JackRicoOfficial. Wishing you health, love, and light. I'm Jack Rico. See you next time on another episode of Highly Relevant.